hour number three of the morning after. It is happy hour here on Sports Grid, Sirius XM, Channel 204. I am Ben Stevens. My usual co-host, Ariel Epstein, has the day off. So it would be me with a smattering of great guests all across this third and final hour. Coming up next segment, David Bierman of ESPN.com to look back at the PGA Tour season and look ahead to the Ryder Cup. And it's Mark Zinno from here on Sports Grid to look ahead to week number two of college football and some early leans for week number one of the NFL. And then we round out with Bill Krakenberger, one of the sharpest men in all of Vegas, to tell you where some of the money is going this week leading up to NFL week number one, how to get ahead of the market by the time we get ready for Sunday slate in the National Football League. If you miss any of this great action, do not worry. Make sure to follow SportsGrid on social media, at SportsGrid and at SportsGrid TV on Twitter, at SportsGrid TV on Instagram as well. Videos, clips, everything you need from our shows all across the network that continue to provide you the winning edge. So if you miss some of the action live, make sure to follow us on social media. We give you all the opportunities and the advantages there. Make sure you stay up to date with all this line movement. As we look back at the Major League Baseball weekend, it was a very impressive performance for Max Scherzer and the LA Dodgers yesterday. The Dodgers losing their weekend series against the Giants and do sit a full game back of San Francisco for that top spot in the National League West. Two of the best records in all of Major League Baseball, two of the best records in the National League. But the Dodgers bouncing back yesterday against the St. Louis Cardinals on the road in Max Scherzer's hometown. He struck out the Cardinals 13 times yesterday against St. Louis. Looking at where this stands for Max Scherzer in his career, he is just six strikeouts away now from becoming the 19th player in Major League Baseball history to have three thousand strikeouts throughout his career he has also gone over the 200 strikeout mark in a single season for the ninth time he did that yesterday against the cardinals in his hometown with 13 big k's against the dodgers in full trans or against the cardinals rather in full transparency i don't know what his k prop was but i know that he went over with those 13 strikeouts yesterday against the cardinals and here's what's very important for the Dodgers, as we have only about 25 games left in the Major League Baseball regular season, the Dodgers have won all seven of Max Scherzer's starts since coming over at the trade deadline from the Washington Nationals. They are 7-0 in the seven starts that Max Scherzer has made. He's the fourth player in Major League Baseball history with 60 strikeouts in a sub-150 ERA in his first seven starts with a new team. That will be tremendously impactful for the Dodgers as they get ready to go in the postseason, especially if they still remain in that National League wildcard game, trusting Max Scherzer against the San Diego Padres, against the Cincinnati Reds, against the Philadelphia Phillies. You have to have supreme confidence in Max Scherzer right now if you are the L.A. Dodgers. And despite sitting one game back of the Giants for that top spot in the National League West, the Dodgers are still the minus money odds on favorite to win the NL West division at minus 220. The Giants are plus 180, a full one game advantage. The Giants in action against the Colorado Rockies. The Dodgers continuing their series in St. Louis. It will be a run through the end of this home stretch of the Major League Baseball season to see who will claim that top spot in the National League West, the top spot in all of the National League, most likely. And you know for certain. That both of these teams, whether it's the Dodgers or the Giants, in their bitter, bitter NL West rivalry, both of them want that top spot. You do not want to play in that one-game scenario in the National League wildcard game when anything can happen. As we welcome in our Sports Grid radio audience here to the final hour of the morning after, it is happy hour. I am Ben Stevens, and you are listening on Sirius XM. 
Channel 204, the mightier 1090 out on the West Coast as well. Spectrum Sports, Net LA, our great audience out there talking about the Dodgers. Max Scherzer's impressive 13 strikeout performance against the Cardinals yesterday. And despite that, the Dodgers still at one game behind the Giants for that top spot in the National League West. But again, the Dodgers the favorite to win that division in minus money pricing at minus 220. You could also look at Max Scherzer right now in the National League Cy Young market because it is becoming an increasingly tight race there in those odds to win the NL Cy Young. His teammate and Walker Bueller for the LA Dodgers is the favorite right now on FanDuel at plus 170, but Scherzer is now plus 250. Just last week, around Wednesday or Thursday, I checked this market. Walker Bueller was the minus money odds on favorite to win the National League Cy Young. But after another impressive performance out of Max Scherzer, where he struck out 13 St. Louis Cardinals going over the 200 strikeout mark in a single season for the ninth time in his career, Max Scherzer is certainly making an impact in that NL Cy Young market. And if you are the Dodgers, how about that? The two guys leading the race on the FanDuel Sportsbook right now for the NL Cy Young. Both wear your uniform. Walker Bueller at plus 170. Scherzer at plus 250. It is a big reason the Dodgers are the favorites to win the NL West at minus 220. It is a reason they are the favorites to win the National League pennant as well at plus 125. An increasingly short number there. More than $2 in their favor over the Brewers who have the second shortest odds at plus 350. And the San Francisco Giants who have the third shortest odds at plus 370. The Dodgers also the favorites to win the World Series at plus 250. The Houston Astros, the second shortest odds at plus 450. If Max Scherzer continues to pitch this way for the LA Dodgers and you have Walker Bueller continue to rack up wins, he has the most wins of all starting pitchers, at least he did as of last week in all of Major League Baseball. The Dodgers are setting themselves up for a great one run in another postseason. Again, the defending World Series champions, the LA Dodgers, plus 250 to repeat right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Max Scherzer, 13 strikeouts once again yesterday against the St. Louis Cardinals. All right, coming up on the other side of the break, I am joined by ESPN.com's Dave Mark Zinno in that 11-12 spot. As we look ahead to what we have moving forward, I think it might be David Bierman. We'll get back to that on the other side. A great guest nonetheless. Stay with us here on the morning after Sirius XM. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to the third and final hour of the morning after. It's happy hour, and I am very happy to be joined now by Mark Zinno. You can find him all across the Sports Grid Network, talking college football, NFL, whatever it might be, on In Game Live all over the weekend. Mark, a pleasure to have you here on this Tuesday, looking back at the first full weekend of the college football slate. Now, there's a couple of games we can dissect here, but let's start with the number two team in the country, at least entering Saturday that being Oklahoma they got all they could handle against Tulane on Saturday in Norman the Sooners still prevailing winning 40 to 35 but they were 31 and a half point favorites so what went wrong for Oklahoma on Saturday in your mind okay so 
let's have a conversation about understanding what Oklahoma is and who you expect them to be. And then let's not change the conversation 30 minutes into a football game. The bottom line here is here is that Oklahoma scored three points. That's three more points than I scored on Saturday in the second half of a football game. Oklahoma is a team that is built on offense. We know they don't play defense in the Big 12. We know Oklahoma is not very good at defense. Yet for some reason in this game in the second half when Tulane started scoring, we started blaming the Oklahoma defense, which we knew wasn't very good to begin with, which we didn't expect to be very good to begin with, yet we blamed them for allowing Tulane back in the game. How about the fact that the offense didn't do anything in the second half with the Heisman favorite at quarterback, Spencer Rattler, and they only score three points, yet we want to sit here and have this argument about Oklahoma's defense being the issue. Look, I cover the Atlanta Falcons here in Atlanta. I've watched them blow numerous leads. It's the same premise. This is a team built on offense, not on defense. When you only score three points in the second half of a football game, chances are, if you have a 20-point lead, it may disappear. This is just not that hard to figure out. Everybody wants to have this screaming debate about Oklahoma's defense and this, that, and the other. They're not supposed to have a good defense. Why did you? They gave up 21, 22 points, whatever it was in the second half. So what? Their offense only scored three. If their offense scores three or four touchdowns, we don't even sweat this game, and we don't think twice about it. And Oklahoma right now still is the number two team in the nation. Like, I don't understand why we shifted the argument all of a sudden from Oklahoma's offense being everything to Oklahoma's defense being the thing that was supposed to win them football games. What, what did I miss? The Sooners scoring only three points in that second half, but still scored 40 on the day. And Spencer Rattler, 30 of 39, 304 yards and a touchdown but two interceptions, and we have seen that movement reflected, Mark, in the Heisman Trophy odds. Spencer Rattler was the favorite entering Saturday around plus 650. He is currently 10-1 to 1 right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Speaking of offense, speaking of points, although we did not quite get to the over last night between Ole Miss and Louisville, the Run Rebels still looked very impressive in that win over the Cardinals, scoring 43 points. And you have been all over Ole Miss overs all year long. You also are a fan of their over their team win total, which was at seven and a half entering the year. What did you make of the Ole Miss performance last night? And how confident do you feel about this team going the rest of the way? Okay, so like amateur betters are going to hear me say this and they're going to be like, what a jerk. Uh, he's, he was wrong. Who cares? But this is kind of the way it goes, Ben. We talked about it, and I gave you guys my process on the whole thing. And I, I almost called it perfectly. I said that Ole Miss would put up a 50-burger, and I counted for Louisville scoring 23, 24, 25 points in that range, and I felt like the 75 was there. When Lane Kiffin went out, and I tweeted this on Saturday, I was just definitely skeptical of the whole thing, and I'm almost glad that I didn't make the bet. I still fired on it. When it dropped down to 74 and a half, I said, okay, let me fire on it because I believe it. I, I, sometimes coaching doesn't, you know, who's calling the exact play shouldn't really matter if the talent level is there. And it was. Could I make an argument that if Lane Kiffin is coaching, they squeeze out one more touchdown and they get to that 75 number or 74 in this case, whatever it would have been? Yeah, I feel like that's that's pretty accurate. But um, I feel like my process and my handicap of the game was really good. The results just didn't bear it out. Sometimes that happens in betting, but. This is what Old Miss is going to be, right? They're, they're going to score 45-50 in every game out, uh, and, and their defense should give up 25. And that's why those, those big numbers in the high 60s, low 70s shouldn't scare you off Old Miss. They came up short. Let's see what happens with Lane Kiven next week back on the sidelines. 
only a touchdown away, really, from that over being yeah. in danger once again. It seemed like it had no shot in the first half, a first half where the Cardinals of Louisville scored zero points, and yet the over yeah. was still in play late there in the fourth quarter. I agree. The process is to be trusted. The handicap was spot on. If you have a process that you trust, results will come. Just because you have a bet and it hits doesn't mean it was a good bet or the thought process was correct. I agree with you, Mark Zeno. I also trusted that thought process and felt pretty good. Ole Miss scored 43 points. What else really can you ask out of the Rams except maybe another touchdown? But hey, regardless, I digress. Let's look ahead to week number two and a team that had an impressive performance, especially defensively week number one were the Iowa Hawkeyes in a Big Ten matchup against Indiana. It does not get any easier for Iowa this upcoming Saturday. The Cyhawk Trophy matchup against their in-state foes, the Iowa State Cyclones. Right now, Iowa, a four and a half point underdog on the road. It aims against Iowa State. The total hovering somewhere around 44 and a half. So, Mark, how do you approach this game between the Hawkeyes and the Cyclones? I mean, you look at the two defense for each of these teams and what they did in week one, and your natural inclination is to say the under should come in. And, and I'm, that's where I'm leaning right now. i got to do a little bit more you know, handicapping of the whole thing, but I, I think this is an under game from the standpoint of both of these defenses are quite suffocating. I mean, Brock Purdy of Iowa State left a little bit to be desired in his performance in week one. I don't think he's that inefficient. I think he'll play better. Same thing with Iowa's offense, which didn't score much against Penn State. Now, part of that is that, I'm sorry, against uh, uh, Indiana, rather. Some of that is the fact that, you know, Indiana uh, was, you know, not really up for the game as much as they thought of. Michael Penix Jr. throws three interceptions, one of them for a pick six, kind of changes what that number was offensively, right? So is Iowa's offense 30 points every single game? Probably not, but it certainly helps when your defense puts you in position to score by getting three turnovers from Indiana, which, oh, by the way, again, I have to eat some crow on there. thought that was a live dog. Dead wrong. It was a dead dog all week long. You and I opined about Michael Penix Jr., and it did not, did not go our way there, Benny. So, uh, Back to the drawing board on, on Indiana. But still, I think this is an under sort of play here. I would lean towards Iowa State at home. If this game was, you know, if I was at home, I, I look at it a little bit differently. But still, with being in Ames, I feel like the play here would probably lean on Iowa State uh, swallowing the points and the under in this game. I just don't know. And it could be one of those wacky things where you, what you see in week one, week two. But both of these defenses are too good to have these offenses put up 20 for the game. And I think the ground game will be very important in the state of Iowa on Saturday. Brees Hall, one of the best backs in the entire country. Tyler Goodson certainly has an argument to be one of the best backs in the Big Ten Conference as well. This is most likely going to be a top 15 matchup when we get that new AP poll released here at the top of the hour. Mark, I think we can expect another top 15 matchup in Columbus on Saturday between Ohio State and Oregon. The total there, much bigger. 63 and a half as compared to 44 and a half in the game between Iowa and Iowa State. When you're looking at that total of 63 and a half between Ohio State and Oregon on Saturday, where does your mind go? My mind goes right to the over. I mean, look, uh, Ohio State, as you and I both sat on the under in that Thursday night game, right? And all of a sudden, through 30 minutes, I feel like a damn genius and I look great. Oh, this is easily coming in. And then boom. Uh, Ohio State explodes for 35 points in the second half. They never look back, and they look like the offense we all thought they were going to be um, throughout the entire game. I, I, it might have been a little bit of nerves, might a little bit for the for the rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud or the first year starter, whatever you want to call him. You know, and then he finally gets his legs underneath him, and, and the uh, the Ohio State offense looks really good. I don't think you have to worry about Oregon 
scoring in this game. I mean, it's a question of how much Ohio State's defense can stop them. If you want to just use the week one sample size, you know, Minnesota was still able to uh, to do a good amount off uh, more than I would have expected, uh, especially on the ground, all things considered. Um, but from that standpoint, I think I feel confident that Oregon can get me to 24-27 in this game. Um, and if Ohio State is going to cover it, they're going to need to be at least so there's your total right there that you're looking at i think the over is the play in this game i think the one glaring weakness ohio state had last year in 2020 that certainly reared its ugly head on thursday night in the twin cities was that defense especially the secondary Kerry combs needs to fix that ahead of hosting oregon on saturday mark although we're talking college football and maybe nfl football next i'm about to ask you for a curveball here would you stay on with us for one final segment I hope that's a yes. We'll get back here on the morning after on the other side of the break. More morning after on Sirius XM channel 204. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to the morning after on Sirius XM channel 204 all across the sports grid network. I am Ben Stevens. We are awaiting Mark Zeno to come back and talk a little NFL football for us as we get ready for week number one. I believe he is back. Mark, we just talked some college football looking back on week one, looking ahead to week two this upcoming weekend. We are also in game week for the National Football League, which means we can expect to see a good amount of line movement as we have some re-upped interest in all these lines as we get ready for the NFL season kicking off on Thursday night between the Cowboys and the reigning Super Bowl champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucs, a seven and a half point favorite. We look at a couple of your plays though, and you're focusing on a game that I have loved watching the line movement for all off-season training camp and preseason long, and that's movement between the Seattle Seahawks and the Indianapolis Colts. When you look at this spread, the Colts opened up as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. They are now a two-and-a-half-point dog, but you are not looking at the spread. You are looking at the total that has also had a ton of movement on it. What do you see for Indy and Seattle on Sunday? Yeah, and this total has come down uh, probably two or three points. I think it opened up around 50. It's down about 48, 48-and-a-half, depending on where you shop around. I'm still on the under in this one. I, I have a hard time believing that a run or like Frank Reich and a Seattle offense that really is dependent on how much they're going to let Russell Wilson drop back and chuck the ball deep to D DK Metcalf and everybody else in that offense is going to be a high-scoring battle. I just think this is going to be a slow slog, uh, slugfest. And really, what would determine for me if Seattle ends up pushing is how well Chris Car uh, Chris Carson can run the ball. Look, if they get a running game going, it's going to change the offense dynamically for Seattle and their ability to do play action, be able to throw the ball deep, be able to do a whole bunch of things offensively. And Chris Carson is always a little bit of a question mark. Plus, you look at a Frank Reich coach team in Indianapolis that loves to run the ball. They're going to pound the rock as much as they can. They won't put He won't put Carson Wentz in high-pressure situations early on. He'll ask him to do the short, simple passes. He'll ask him to do the high-percentage throw. And I think this will be a very slow-style game where not a lot of scoring happens. And I still think the 
the under. And again, at 48 and a half, I feel like it's a good number. You know, you stay above that 48. I think the number is is favorable to everybody. Um, and I've, t- I'm, I've been on the under for a while in this game, and I'm staying there, Ben. Mark, another total at 48 and a half that has also seen it drop from where it opened is a game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Buffalo Bills. It is one of the more intriguing matchups, in my opinion, for this NFL week number one slate. It opened at 50 and a half. It has moved to 48 and a half. What are you thinking in regards to this total for the Bills and the Steelers? I I think that we caught up in Buffalo and Pittsburgh and think defense. And I think that both of these defenses are good. They have a lot of names. I think Buffalo as a defense is very opportunistic. They take advantage of turnovers and create turnovers, but it's not like this is a shutdown, you know, uh, prevent everybody from scoring defense. You can score on this Buffalo team. Um, They have a good second, but still, this is a Pittsburgh Steelers team, and it's Pittsburgh Steelers offense that's being incredibly undervalued. I expect Najee Harris to have a very good day, both running the ball and catching it out of the backfield. I I look at both of these teams and think that this is easily a 27-24 game. If you're keeping me under that key number of 50 one we're in this spot right here and feel pretty comfortable about it surprisingly i think this is going to be a game where a lot of points are scored i know people aren't looking at that given the two teams um that are playing in this thing and i i just trust the fact that between the names on the offensive side of the ball they will dominate over the defensive side of the ball and i look at this game as an over Mark, when you're approaching week one of any season, but now for the NFL as we enter game week and you have seen the market say 56% of the money is coming in on the under, the total has dropped by two points. How much are you paying attention to that line movement, maybe trying to catch the best number heading into Sunday? Yeah, I think it's in week one you have to. I mean, we've seen a bunch of lines move a decent amount. Take the Jets and Panthers line, which opened three and a half, and now it's up to five as the Panthers are becoming more of a favorite. Is that all of a sudden because Sam Donald got better between June and now? No, we haven't seen anybody do anything. So a lot of this is, you know, what starts to be public money. And as everybody goes through their fantasy drafts and everything else, you get some of the betting public to start looking at games and start pushing numbers uh, direction. So I think you do have to shop around and look for your your best, you know, best, best value that you can find for it. But remember, nothing has been played. So some of these line movements, you have to take into account whether it is sharp money or, or it is just the public starting to get on one side more than the other. But as well, you know, the, the circumstances around a lot of this stuff, narratives start to dictate games, right? Narratives about players and how they played in the preseason will start to influence lines and influence the public as well. So you got to be careful about some of that. And, and oh, by the way, you know, rookie quarterbacks, the trends, they start out really slow. You know, like it's not the first game of the year where they come out firing. So, you know, just in the game that I mentioned to watch that line go, it feels like it's public money to me. But, yeah, I I do watch the line moving a little bit and it can be scary. Take the Denver Giants game, for example, Ben. I mean, that line not only flip flopped to the Giants being a favorite, then they were a dog. And now it went from one and a half up to three. That's one that's a little bit harder to handicap for me because I just, you know, you look at the experience of the quarterbacks in that game. You look at the experience of the coaches and what they did last year. You know, there's a little bit of a track record there. That's more of a stay away game for me uh, than it would be something like the line movement in Carolina and the Jets. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from week number one, where if you don't have a strong lean or an edge for a game, maybe the best bet is just to stay away, get that sample size, and then take that into account for your handicapping the following week for week number two. I completely agree with you, Mark. When you look at that game between the Giants and the Broncos, it is the smallest total on the board of all 16 NFL games this upcoming weekend at only 41 and a half. I think both defenses are pretty good, and I think the Broncos might be able to feast against a porous 
Giants offensive line, but still 41 and a half is not calling for me to take an under for that game on Sunday afternoon at MetLife Stadium. We have seen a lot of line movement in another game, but it will be a battle of two of the best teams really in the AFC. At Arrowhead, the Chiefs host the Browns. The Chiefs opened up as a five and a half point favorite. They are currently a six and a half point favorite on the FanDuel Sportsbook. It will be a game mark that I think draws tons of public money. How do you approach that matchup? All right, so you talk about handicapping week one. Whenever you get stuck, I kind of just fall back to a simple premise. Good coaches, good quarterbacks. I'd rather lose with those guys than a situation like Denver and the Giants where I have two I don't know what coaches, and I have two I don't know quarterbacks. Why even wager on that game when there's not a lot of track record there? Bill, uh, Andy Reid has sort of become the you know next Bill Belichick, so to speak, when it comes to scheming and adjustments. And if you're telling me that I'm going to get Andy Reid with extra time to prepare – and it's a touchdown or less. And this is there is some shopping here to be done, Ben. But it, they are home at minus six. I will take the Chiefs because I can get a push out of it. A 33-27 final gets me a push. Six and a half, I'm a little bit more weary of it. So I would shop around and wait for a six or by the hook. But simply put, Cleveland hasn't won an opener, I think, in the better part of my adult life. Like since the Afghanistan war started, Cleveland hasn't won an opener. So that's how long that they haven't won week one. Does that really matter as a trend? No, not really, because different coaches, different schemes, different everything has changed over the course of that time. But still, I'm getting the Chiefs at home with the best coach in the league or one of the two best coaches in the league with the top quarterback in the league. I don't mind laying the six in this spot. I feel pretty comfortable. Go back to the last memory we have of these two teams playing in the playoffs. Remember, Patrick Mahomes got hurt in a 19-10 game that they were a, mm. I think it was a nine or 10-point favorite in that game. If Patrick Mahomes doesn't get hurt, Casey easily covers that game at home. It's not even a question. So I'm not worried about the number here being as large as it is. I think it'll scare away some people, and I think they set the line where it is, Ben, because it seems like a lot of points for a very talented Cleveland Browns team that a lot of people think is going to make the playoffs again this year. So I'm okay with the line where it is, but I'm not scared of it by any stretch. I'll take the better coach, the better quarterback, and the better team at home in week one, and I'll swallow the six. Mark, honestly, I was a little bit surprised by some of how this handle looks for this game. 75% of the money is backing the Chiefs against the spread. Could be an indication of why it has moved in the favor of Kansas City by a point. But I think this game also could see some more line movement ahead of Sunday as that re-upped interest in the Cleveland Browns being one of the most public teams, a darling of sorts, might get a little bit more money by the time we get to Sunday at Arrowhead. You mentioned the six and a half. It is right below that key number of seven. That key number of seven in the NFL is very, very important. There is a game between the Detroit Lions and the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday that the Lions are, are the underdog past that key number of seven at plus seven and a half. So with knowing that, although it's the Detroit Lions, you're getting a decent number against the Niners. Mark, when you think about that game, what's the thought process? All right. Uh, I, I hate every single minute of this that I'm going to talk about in this bet, and I hate myself for this bet. Um, it's one of those that I have a lot of shame about. But, again, it's my process here that I trust. We all know the Lions are going to be one of the worst teams in the league, right? But I don't think anybody's told Dan Campbell that yet. So there could be a sense of, of motivation and for a first-year coach and, and a first game for where the Lions might play some spirited ball, especially at home. But this is also a 49ers team where you have a quarterback that it's at best got shaken confidence and knows every throw he makes his job is on the line in Jimmy Garoppolo. So from that standpoint, I expect him to play a little bit tight. 
Um, but, you know, again, this is a scenario here, Ben, where seven and a half is too much to lay on the road. Like when you talk about lines and key numbers and even take the Buccaneers and Cowboys in week one, the fact that the line moved from seven and a half to eight or even eight and a half doesn't scare me as much because the difference between seven and a half and eight and a half is almost never coming up in the NFL. Not like the difference between three and three and three and a half does or six and six and a half or six and a half and seven. So there really isn't a, a translatable difference in me feeling that this number should be higher. If Detroit is that bad and San Francisco is that good as much of a Super Bowl contender, why isn't this line higher? There's a reason for that. So when I look at that, I go, I'll take the points here. San Francisco on the road in week one. San Francisco still wins, but give me the Lions and a half and watch me puke in a bucket when it doesn't happen. <laughs> Puking in a bucket back in the Detroit Lions in week number one of an NFL season. Nothing better except Mark Zeno. Thank you for coming on today, doing college football, NFL football. Now that we are in game week, Mark, always appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Benny, you're the best, brother. Thank you. Happy hour rolls on Mark Zinno now giving way to crack. One of the sharpest men in all of Vegas gives us where to look forward to for week one of the NFL slate or the morning after. Stay with us here on Sirius X. Fun fact. Even if the last sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 seven as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid sportsgrid.com. Welcome back to the morning after on Sirius XM channel 204. It is game week in the National Football League, and I'm Ben Stevens. Thank you for joining us here across the Sports Grid Network. We have been talking about week one line movement for the NFL all morning long. It is so important to know where the numbers stand right now on Tuesday as we get ready for week number one in all of the action we will see. Let's first start with Thursday night's opener between the Dallas Cowboys and the reigning Super Bowl champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We know that Tampa returns pretty much their entire team from last year's Super Bowl run. All 22 starters on both offense and defense. And on top of that, all three of the key members of their coaching staff, including head coach Bruce Arians, offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich, and of course defensive coordinator Todd Bowles. It is the reason that I believe there has been so much line movement in favor of Tampa Bay. I believe this line opened up at six and a half as I'm going to check my notes here. Six and a half has now moved to seven and a half in favor of the Bucks. And when you see that, it makes sense. The public is backing the reigning Super Bowl champion, 69% of the betting handle is coming in on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the spread. You are also looking at a total for the week one season opener that has been on the move slightly as well. It opened at 52 and a half. It is down to 52, so only dropping by the hook, but still one of the bigger totals you will see across all 16 games on this week one NFL slate. 58% of the money is on the over here, yet it is dropped by the hook. What we don't know heading into this game necessarily is the health of Dak Prescott. He says that he feels good. He is ready to go for this week one opener. And although you have a seven and a half point spread, what exactly are we feeling heading into this game between the Bucks and the boys? I think the reliability is on the side of Tampa Bay, but you still might have a big number on the Dallas Cowboys, a team that is still favored 
to win the NFC East. And that's an important distinction because there has been so much movement in the NFC East markets at the moment. The Dallas Cowboys at the end of July, just about a month ago, were the favorites to win the division. They still are, but the price at the end of July was plus 105. It is now plus 150 for the Dallas Cowboys to claim the NFC East crown. When you look at the team with the second shortest odds in the Washington football team, their odds moved in their favor from plus 270 to plus 200 as it currently stands on the FanDuel Sportsbook. The Giants have also had a ton of movement against them in this market. They opened up around plus 400, got as low as plus 380, then hovered at plus 400 even just one week ago. But I think some of the performances, especially out of that offensive line in the preseason for you, Nor for New York have caused these odds to get even longer. They are now tied for these longest odds in the division of the NFC East at plus 450 with the New York Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles all tied with the same exact odds. So the Cowboys still the favorite at plus 150 in what a division is not expected to be great right now, certainly from the FanDuel Sportsbook or the public perception, but that's why you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a seven and a half point favorite. As we look across some of these other games that have some line movement, Another game that catches my eye when you look at the top of the board right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook for week one of the NFL, it is the Chargers against that football team we just talked about that odds have become shorter to win the NFC East. Now, here's the interesting thing. The Chargers are a very public team, a team a lot of people have backed in the AFC West markets to make the playoff markets with some plus money. They're a team that, and you look at Justin Herbert in his second year, seem likely to go over their team win total. I believe it stands at nine and a half right now on Fandle. The Chargers opened up as a one-point favorite, and despite the fact that 63% of the money is backing the football team, there has been no line movement here. You would expect that to be the case with such a heavy percentage of that betting handle on the Washington football team. 63% of the betting money is on the football team, yet there has been no line movement here. The Chargers have opened as a one-point road favorite, in Washington, in the nation's capital on Sunday, they have stayed as a one-point favorite. When you look at the total for this game, it has dropped by the hook. 59% of the money is on the under. Washington is expected to have one of the best defenses in the NFC. The Chargers defense should also be a lot better this year if Joey Bosa can stay healthy. You get Derwin James back in the secondary. The question still remains, although Justin Herbert was the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year what does it look like with risen, expectation, risen expectations heading in to year number two, his sophomore season? That is always the case. Even a great rookie campaign does not necessarily mean a sophomore season will continue the same. What does the sequel look like for Justin Herbert and the L.A. Chargers? As we continue to dive through this board, Mark Zinno was on the show in this last segment talking about a game that has also had a lot of line movement with another rookie quarterback that will make his NFL regular season debut on Sunday. It is the Carolina Panthers and the New York Jets in a revenge game. It has moved even more in favor of the home team in Carolina. It opened at four. It got as small as three and a half. It is now up to five in favor of Carolina. 83% of the betting handle coming in and backing the Carolina Panthers. The total has also gone up by a point and a half. It opened at a smaller number at 43 and a half, now 45 on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Interesting that Carolina is a five-point favorite. Now, the New York Jets have a small win total. I believe it is six on the FanDuel Sportsbook. But can you really feel the confidence in Carolina in the first year of Sam Darnold, in the second year of a head coach in Matt Rule, to have this much line movement work in their favor? A full point from open, but a point and a half 
from where it stood earlier this summer. That is an interesting amount of line movement to have for an NFL game, to do a complete 180, to switch from the NFL, the beginning of one season, to the end of another. The PGA Tour season came to a conclusion at Eastlake Golf Club in Atlanta at the Tour Championship this past weekend. Patrick Cantlay claiming the FedEx Cup Championship in a victory at the Tour Championship. So coming to join us now on the morning after, and we appreciate his time and his flexibility, it is ESPN.com's David Bierman to look back at the weekend and still a marquee event in the golf calendar, the Ryder Cup coming up at the end of this month. David, thank you very much for being here. What did you make of that Tour Championship and Patrick Cantlay prevailing? I tell you, you got you to tip your cap to Patrick Cantley for getting it done and, and taking advantage of, of what the rules and the system are, a system that he actually came out and said he didn't like. Uh, but, but after winning against Bryson two weeks ago, Ben, he put himself in the position as the top seed, staggered scoring, and he held on the entire week. So tip your cap, he is your FedEx Cup champion. I have a hard time calling him the Tour champion because he didn't win the Tour <laughs> championship, which is kind of where the awkwardness of the way the point system works now that they've changed it the last couple of years because I was listening the other day to the end of it on PGA Tour radio as I was driving uh, back from Yankee Stadium and they basically were saying you know he wins the tour championship and wins the FedEx Cup and I'm like well that's not really the case because Kevin Na and John Rahm had a better score at the tour championship but at the end of the day the system is what it is you you can tell that I'm not a fan of, of the way they've decided it I actually didn't have a problem three years ago when Tiger Woods won the tour championship and Justin Rose won the FedEx Cup Evidently, the tour didn't like it, and they switched this system up. But, hey, Cantlay is the one who took it down. And, you know, I think, Ben, the most interesting thing for me moving forward is who wins player of the year, voted on by the players. Because on one hand, you have a guy who, technically speaking, has four wins in Patrick Cantlay, but one of the wins was because John Rahm had to leave an event with a six-shot lead with 18 holes to play. One of them was because Bryson DeChambeau couldn't make any putts in a playoff, and Cantlay kept staying. And the other was this past weekend when he, quote, won the Tour Championship. So I think there's a case to be made that John Rahm could be player of the year, Colin Morikawa could be player of the year, but either way, you got three really good golfers, all of which are going to be playing in that Ryder Cup in a couple of weeks. Four technical wins for Patrick Cantlay, two more than any other golfer on the PGA Tour this season. So when you talk about this staggered start, David, when you look at the Tour Championship, I think there has been some mixed reviews as a way to cap off a PGA Tour campaign. Do you think the PGA Tour is looking into changing this at all, or do you expect this to be the format at Eastlake for years to come? I mean, I don't have any inside information as to whether they're actually discussing it, but I do know enough players are not a fan of the system. And it wasn't the players who complained a couple of years ago. It was the tour because it was one of those extraneous circumstances where Tiger Woods won his first event in a million years and Justin Rose won a FedEx Cup and nobody paid attention to Justin Rose because it was Tiger Woods. Had it been anybody else, Ben, I don't think we have a change in the system. But Tiger got so much attention for finally winning coming back from all the injuries and everything else that Justin Rose's torch his FedEx Cup was kind of forgotten and the tour doesn't want that to happen so they go ahead and create a new system that is basically whoever wins on Sunday is your winner for everything and I just don't know I mean world rankings wise Kevin Na got more points than Patrick Cantlay the other day John Rahm got more points than Patrick Cantlay did because they technically co-won the event I would go back to the old system but I'm not the commissioner of golf. I just, it, it also makes it a two-man race. Like the entire tour championship 
it was Rom versus Cantlay from Friday on. Nobody else was in contention mm-hmm. because they were so far behind. You and I love to look at the long shots every single week before a normal event. Who can we find at 30 to 1 or 40 to 1 to win? That can't happen at the Tour Championship. These guys are not winning from 10 strokes behind when the number one golfer in the world is number two and the guy who's the hottest on tour is number one and they have six, seven, eight, nine shot advantages. I don't like it, but I'm not the one making the decisions. Cantlay and Rom were tied for the shortest odds entering the Tour Championship, both at plus 380 on the FanDuel Sportsbook. And David, it's why when you were on the show last week, you said it's such a difficult handicap because it really goes against everything you do on a weekly, regular basis for a PGA Tour season. You make your money, and the sharp money goes into matchups, and it goes into finishing positions. This past week, it was actually looking at the outright market, and although the odds were short, it was backing one of those guys at the top of the market when normally such short odds on a regular weekly basis on the PGA Tour presents no value. But either John Rahm or Patrick Cantlay, two of the hottest golfers we have seen all season long, both guys will be featured in the Ryder Cup. It comes up at the end of this month at Whistling Straits in Wisconsin on U.S. soil. And Team USA is the favorite right now, David, on the FanDuel Sportsbook at minus 195. Europe is plus 175. As you take an early look at the Ryder Cup at the end of this month, how do you approach this event? I mean, if you look at the two rosters, and obviously we don't have all of them yet, we have the United States top six that are automatically qualified, and you can pretty much figure out all the way all the way down to the top ten with Finau, Shoffley, Spieth, and English. I see them all making the team. So two open spots for really for for Stricker to do. But the, the, you know, the English, the, the 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 world team, sorry, Team Europe is going to be good as well. <laughs> now, if you look at the lineup side by side, World Rankings, FedEx Cup, the United States roster is, is stacked compared to the European one, hence the minus 190, minus 200. I find it very hard to justify making that bet any early right now without knowing the rest of the lineup. Plus, you know Team Europe plays more of a team than Team USA does because, you know, two of the guys on Team USA won't even talk to each other in Bryson and Kepka. So the team dynamic will be different, which gives a little bit more value to the almost plus 180, plus 200 with Europe. What I'm going to do, Ben, is I'm going to wait and see what the full rosters are. And much like regular PGA events, not name a tour championship, I'm going to look at matchups because to me that's the best way to play it. Once they announce their pairings and their best balls and and their alternate shots, I'm going to go out there and make the bets based on the matchups because team-wise there's just no value in laying 200 to a team that doesn't play as a team. And But they're so much better than Team Europe. I'm not sure there's value in taking Team Europe. Maybe you – let the morning session play out and come from behind and bet it live. Say Team USA loses three of the first four and all of a sudden they're even money. Hop in there or vice versa. I just, I'm going to do matchups and Sunday is going to be spectacular because you're going to have 12 one-on-one matchups. I think the matchups are going to be great at Whistling Straits. I think that's the area to make your money on the Ryder Cup. And although it is kind of a joke about Bryson and Brooks and Patrick Reed and all that stuff, it certainly has played out. The Team Europe has that cohesion. David Bierman of ESPN.com coming in for a short segment, but a great segment nonetheless. David, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Enjoy. Best bets on the other side of the break. Your wife called. She won. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
One final segment of the morning hour on your Tuesday following Labor Day weekend. You are listening on Sirius XM channel 204. I'm your host, Ben Stevens. It is time to finish things off in the only way we know how. A little shoulder shimmy and till bet do us part. Boom, shimmy, 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 shimmy. We like to have a little fun with the shoulder shimmy when my usual co-host Ariel Epstein is not here. We try our best. We run the animation, and I hope you are not scared off by my dance moves. I also hope you are not scared off with my best bet of today. It is a Major League Baseball game on this Tuesday night of action. Now listen, there is a common misnomer about overs at Coors Field. In Denver, Colorado, when you play games at altitude, they always expect there to be runs, 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 and tons of offense. But that's baked into the number. So every time you see a lofty number for a Rockies game, you have to know that that is taken into expectation. So when you see a number at 12 today between the Giants and the Rockies for a total for the game overall, your thought maybe should be leaning to the under because outside of the idea that the Rockies play a lot of overs at home in that common misconception, the Rockies actually have the eighth highest under percentage of any team playing at their home ballpark all year at nearly 56%. The Giants also have the fifth highest under percentage on the road this year at 57.6%. Now the starter for Colorado today is Chichi Gonzalez. He has faced San Francisco twice all the way back in April, so it's been a while, but four earned runs combined in just those two starts. Logan Webb is the starter for the Giants. He has a 2.56 ERA. He has given up two earned runs or less in 14 straight starts dating back to early May. The total is too high. It is at 12 between the Rockies and the Giants. We are taking the under. Do not be fooled by the common misconception that it's always overs at Coors Field. 12 between the Giants and the Rockies. We take the under for my best bet of this day. Thank you very much for watching the morning after on this Tuesday following a holiday weekend. Ariel Epstein will be back alongside me tomorrow every morning, 9 a.m. Eastern to 12 a.m. every or 12 p.m. I should say here on the Sports Grid Network, Sirius XM Channel 204. Where you get your information is at least as important as what it is. We're your trusted.